open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. And as if I did not find myself a little nervous the last two weeks dealing with critical theory and Black Lives Matter, the very first line of our text is, Wives, be submissive to your own husbands. <laughs> Call me crazy if you want. And on her birthday, I am going to preach this. So... Here we go. All right, everybody ready? Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their lives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any, er- with any terror. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Father, we um, first of all come to you today and we are thankful that we can come into your presence. Thankful, Lord, that the word of God is inspired. It's alive. It's powerful. It's truth. And I thank you for that. We take, Lord, just a moment to uh, pray for Jill Mikesell this morning. Um, Jill called today, and Jill um, has a very severe uh, brain tumor that they fear is inoperable. And uh, the diagnosis is pretty grave. And, uh, Lord, he stands in need of a miracle today. And so we just agree our faith together and pray that you would touch him. I pray, Father, that you would just come around Joe and Jill and their family, strengthen them and encourage them. And we pray that you would stand from your throne and speak healing into Joe's life today. Pray also, Lord, for Helen Clark, uh, Donna uh, Martin's mother who is has fallen. She's in the hospital and uh, God just needs your strength. I pray that you would minister to her today. Lord, we, uh, as we have been talking about the last few weeks, we live in a world that no longer looks to the word of God um, as their source of truth. And so many Christians, or at least those who call themselves Christians and attend church, don't do that either. We have allowed a, another worldview to influence us and actually not only influence us, but take over. And we have lost our ability to look through the lens of the biblical worldview and see the issues around us that are unraveling. And they're unraveling because we have failed to be true to your word. Sanctify them by thy truth, Jesus prayed. Thy word is truth. Whether it's popular, whether it is kosher, whether it is the in thing or not, whether it is politically correct or not, your word is truth. And I pray, God, that you would help us as your people never to waver from the truth of your word. Help me as a pastor 
to speak only the truth of your word. I ask God today for your anointing. Help me to rightly divide the word of truth, to, to interpret it and apply it in a manner that is pleasing to you and acceptable in your sight. I pray, God, that, that whether someone is here today married, unmarried, single, divorced, a young person who is not yet married or maybe even in a dating relationship, Lord, this is for all of us because you have established an order for your people, exiles in this world, an order that really affects every relationship we have. It's an order of submission to one another as outlined in your word. And only then can we function as we are to function. And right now the world around us is in chaos because we have pushed aside and, con- and treated with contempt the divine order that you've established. So help us this morning to hear from you. Holy Spirit, speak through me. Anoint me, not because I deserve it or earn it. And may I speak no word of my own, but only that which comes from you today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's turn around and say hi to your neighbor and wave across the aisle at someone. And um, then you may be seated this morning. So on his way home, um, on his way home from work, um, this particular husband was listening uh, to the CD version of the book, Man of the House, uh, during his commute home. And now enlightened, this husband stormed into his house to confront his wife. Um, Pointing his finger in her face, he said, from now on, I want you to know that I am the head of this house and my word is law. Tonight, you are to prepare for me a gourmet meal and a sumptuous dessert. And then when I'm done eating, you're going to draw me a bath so I can have a relaxing soak. When I'm finished with my bath, when I'm finished with my bath, guess who's going to dress me and comb my hair? His wife responded, my guess is the funeral director. (laughs) So we are not going there today, all right? I recently uh, read an article, uh, actually just a few weeks ago, Uh, It was an interesting article from the Journal of American College of Cardiology, of all places. It was an article on the attack of the American family. Uh, It was actually a 2001 article, so almost 20 years old. It was written by uh, a physician cardiologist by the name of William Parmley. And and he just writes this. uh, Over dinner one night at one of the recent major heart uh, seminars, some colleagues and I discussed a wide range of issues from the Florida vote recount, so that, that dates it, to the new American College of Cardiology Foundation. Much of our discussion, however, centered on our families and the challenges of marriage and raising children. Initially, we brought each other up to date on where our children were and what they were doing. And as our discussion deepened, however, it became clear that many of us believe that the institution of the traditional family was under severe attack in our current society. 
I debated whether this subject was a suitable one for an editor's page, but I concluded anything that was this important is a must for all busy physicians to consider in their own lives. And so he writes this article and places it in his cardiology journal. And in it, he writes, the statistics are certainly eye-opening. Currently, about half of marriages end in divorce. The number of children in the U.S. household has fallen from three in 1915 to two in 1999. About two-thirds of married women are in the workforce. In the U.S., about one-third of children are born out of wedlock. And there seems to be a diminishing role of absenteeism or... A diminishing role or absenteeism of the father in many homes. As one thinks of families, he writes, it is also clear that many individuals are single and many are in non-traditional arrangements. Their challenges are no less severe than challenges within the traditional family unit, which is struggling to cope with the fast-paced stresses of a modern society. And then he writes, the following represent a few of the things that we discussed over dinner that night. And some additional thoughts I've had since. And he lists three. Actually, he listed more. I chose three. Number one, the family is potentially the most important stabilizing force in society. A strong family where children are taught appropriate social and moral virtues will go a long way towards stabilizing our civilization. Number two, do common religious roots keep a family together? The family that prays together stays together. My own personal experience, he writes, and general observations seem to confirm the truth of that old adage. Certainly the recognition of at least a supreme being and of a spiritual side to our nature goes a long way toward putting to rest, putting the rest of our busy lives in perspective. What... When that is shared, I believe it strengthens the whole family. Thirdly, he notes, it seems that we need to guide our children more to expose them to worthwhile educational and uplifting experiences. The general climate of adverse influences seems to have mushroomed over the past few years, whether it's the violence or the immorality of some movies and television, pornography on the internet or cigarettes and alcohol and addictive drugs. It seems that our children and grandchildren need a loving, guiding hand more than ever. The power of our own personal example, he writes, may be the greatest influence for good we can provide. This is... This is a physician. He does not claim to be a Christian. It was written 20 years ago. His fellow physicians that were meeting that night, none of them necessarily claimed to be believers. So this is not a group. This is not a theological think tank. This is not a group of preachers gathered together. And it was written 20 years ago, but they come to the conclusion that the American family is under attack. It's pretty interesting. Peggy Noonan, some of you will know that name, very conservative um, writer and author, uh, published an article called An Old-Fashioned Childhood, and and the subtitle was Nobody Killed Us. And I'm only going to read you just a couple of short excerpts from that article, but she describes how that growing up every summer, she would go to her aunt's house. Her aunt was not a particularly kind person. She was kind of hard. She would speak down to Peggy, but her aunt at least took care of her. And her aunt and and then her aunt's sister-in-law were the two ladies that she would spend every summer with. They didn't get out of the house much, but when they did, they would go one shopping trip a week and could never buy anything. She could just look. And it wasn't the most beautiful experience that a child could ever have in the summer. But she writes this, parents then could say to their kids, essentially, 
go out and play in America and know that they would come back okay that night. How many remember those days when our parents sent us out and we would play all day long and come back at night? People don't feel that so much anymore. And it's a real loss. She goes on to say, it is right here to note that life would not have been so safe for a little girl or an old woman of color. The world might not have been so kind But the larger point that everyone was at least safer, I think, maintains. She writes this, sophisticated Europe, which, by the way, even what I talked about the last two weeks and actually the last several weeks, we are just following the trend in so many cultural ways of sophisticated Europe. Sophisticated Europe, she writes, I learned years later, had looked at our culture, its blandness, It's innocence, it's babyish assumption that good would triumph and saw it a culture of children. We were more appropriately understood as a culture for children. And you know, that's not the worst thing. She concludes by saying, here is my concern. There are not fewer children living stressed, chaotic lives in America right now. There are more and there will be more still. Because among the things that America no longer manufactures is stability. And the culture around them will not protect them as the culture protected me. The culture around them will make their lives harder, more frightening, more dangerous. They're going to come up with nothing to believe in. Their nerves essentially shot. And they're going to be, they are already very angry. We have dismantled, we talked about last week, organizations that are committed to a critical world view that want to dismantle power structures and institutions. The church has allowed the world to dismantle the family structure. And what God's word calls ideal, and now we are reaping the benefits of that. The wise writer said, you sow to the wind and you reap the whirlwind. And we are finding ourselves experiencing that in the family today as well. Just a little bit of family data before we get to the text. Four out of 10 is the number of births occurring to women who are either single or living with a non-marital partner. 62 is the percentage of children. That means less than two thirds that are living with two parents. Seven is the percentage of children living with parents who are cohabitating. Two million to 3.7 million, the number of U.S. children under the age of 18 who have either a lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender parent. 200,000, the number of U.S. children under the age of 18 who are being raised by same-sex couples. That is as of 2015. Information comes from the Pew Research Center. This entire series in First Peter is about how we are to live. As Christians, we are exiles in a world in which we don't really belong. How are we to live? How are we to treat the government? We've talked about that. How are we to deal with conflicting worldviews? How are we to relate to those who unjustly persecute us? We'll talk about that even more in the next few weeks. But today I want to address the issue of family. What does a family living in exile look like? How how do we 
how do we shine like bright lights in a dark universe? How do we stand out and lead people toward the ideal of God's word? Andreas Katzenberger said, incredible as it may seem, we can no longer assume that people in our culture understand what the proper definition of marriage and the family is. Not only is this a sad commentary on the impact of same-sex marriage activists on our society, it also shows this is powerful. It shows how the culture's memory of the biblical tradition on which it is largely based is fading fast. Our nation, our culture was based on a biblical tradition of family. We have forgotten that even in the church, we are discarding that as if it is insignificant and unnecessary. Let me make just a couple of statements and I'm going to share with you about six different principles very quickly. No one listening to me this morning should be on any kind of guilt trip for any kind of past failure, even present experience that is difficult. I just want us to see the culture that we are dealing with and how we are to encourage one another and stand with one another and help come alongside one another. Those who have struggled, those who have failed, how can we allow our brokenness to be healed and, and somehow portray to a dark world what God's ideal really is? The text before us unpacks principles of family, the home, the marriage, all of these that are under attack, but when they are embraced, they will make our culture stronger, our churches healthier, our society safer, and American children much healthier and more mature. So what should a Christian marriage or Christian home the marriage of an exile look like? Let me share with you six principles very quickly. Number one, they should be marriages that are rooted and grounded in a Christ-modeling and Christ-exalting humble submission. Peter says it like this, the very first line of our text, wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands. Earlier in this text, Peter has told those who were just citizens in society to submit to ruling authorities. He has told servants or slaves to submit to their masters. And now he tells wives to submit to their husbands. Let me say this. He does not tell government authorities how they are to treat their citizens. He does not tell masters how they are to treat their slaves. He does, however, tell husbands how they are to treat their wives. So he brings this relationship to a whole new level. There is a mutuality about this submission that is not the case with the others that he has mentioned. He begins by saying wives likewise. The word likewise is homios. It means in a similar manner to that which was spoken before. The last time submission was dealt with was in chapter 2 and verse 18. It describes Jesus, and the word is hupotasso. And he talks about how servants were to submit to their masters just as Christ did. Christ submitted to the will of his Father. He subjected himself to the Father that judged righteously, and he submitted himself to the treatment of his accusers, and he did it with humility. It was a humble submission. It was not a retaliatory. It was not a fighting back. He says, wives are likewise, homeos, in a similar manner to 
submit to their husbands. Jesus did it this way, 1 Peter 2, 23, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he committed himself. The word committed is paradidomai. It means he handed himself over willingly and humbly to the Father that he knew would do what was right. He wasn't forced. He wasn't coerced. It wasn't being driven down. He submitted humbly and willingly. The Apostle Paul also taught about mutual submission when he writes in Ephesians that we are to submit to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Here in 1 Peter, the wife is told to subject themselves or to submit themselves to their husband's authority or his leadership in the marriage. The example of Sarah is given to Abraham. Can you imagine how many times Abraham must have said to Sarah, Sarah, we're going to move again. It's time to get up, pack the bags, and we're going to go again. And she responded, recognizing the headship that God had placed in her life. Now look at me for just a moment. This is a touchy subject, I realize. Our culture pushes back on any authority measure whatsoever. That's why we are where we are at today. We have pushed back any divine order that God has established, any authority system we are trying to dismantle. The riots and the looting, the autonomous zones are all a result of young people who have not been raised, not just young people, but people who have not been raised or at least have rejected their raising, who don't believe that they must submit to any authority. They can do whatever they want because their rights superabound any order that God may have established. Marriages cannot have two heads. They simply cannot. No one wants to be on an airplane with two pilots or on a ship with two captains. No one wants to try to follow two leaders who may be going two different directions. There is a divine order that God has established. And when humbly followed and adhered to is Christ exalting. Jill Briscoe writes these words. The basis of submission is submitting ourselves to one another or giving way to one another. Submission is giving way to someone else. And Atkins, in her book, Split Image, says, before we can hope to be a good husband or a good wife, we must must learn to be a good Christian. We must all become self-sacrificial and submissive. That's the order that God has established. And marriages and homes that are going to stand out and declare themselves to be exiles in a world to which we don't belong will be marriages and homes where there is a Christ-exalting and humble submission. Number two, marriages that really stand out as God calls us to are marriages that embrace and live out the divine order while acknowledging equality and mutual value. You see, the pushback to um, submission in general is often a failure to realize that to submit is not to admit I am not equal. 
Let, let me just take you to Philippians chapter two. We don't have time to read it, but you know the text. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God and thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation. It wasn't that Jesus wasn't God. It wasn't that he wasn't equal with God. He was divinity. He was deity. But instead, he submitted to a divine order that the son would submit to the father, even though they were completely equal. We have lost that in our culture and our society. We think that when I submit, I am giving up my equality. And so we push back. Both husband and wife are equal. They're created in the Imago Dei, the image of God, and their value is therein established. They are, number one, equal in creation. There is neither male nor female in the eyes of God as to relationship with him, Galatians 3, 26 through 29. Man and woman are equal in spiritual standing, Romans chapter 3. There is none righteous, no, not one. Not a male, not a female, not a husband, not a wife. We are equal in spiritual standing. We all come before him needing his righteousness. And we are equal in responsibility before God. First Peter 2 and verse 9. We are all a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. We all have equal responsibility before God. Christian marriages that recognize their status as exiles will live under the divine order, mutually submitting to one another and honor preferring to one another. It's the wife submitting to the husband to lead while acknowledging her complete equality before God. When equality, listen, look right here. When equality is understood, the godly husband will seek the input of his equal wife. He will want to know what she has to say. He will recognize she has gifts he doesn't have, that she has input and insight that he doesn't have, that her ability to discern is different, that her gifts are different. And as she follows his leadership, the godly husband will listen and together they will decide and will move forward. A wise leader in a business or a church does not abuse that position of divine order. They use it humbly. They seek out those who are mutually equal, equal with their advice and their direction. But then the leader leads. Can I just tell you, um, let me brag on my parents for just a moment or two. My mom and dad did this so well. There was never... There, there was never um, any question as to who would make the final decision. It would be my dad. And we would look to my dad and he would make the final decision, but he would never make it unilaterally. He would always make it talking with mom, listening to her. And I, I don't want to say it on video, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think mom probably won more times than they would even admit. She probably, but because dad trusted her insight and her wisdom, but it was never, I'm leading, you don't matter. It was always mutually submitting and him stepping out in divine order and taking the lead. And I will just tell you today, and this is not to brag. If I'm bragging, I'm bragging on my parents. They have four children. All are serving Jesus today. Two are in ministry. They have oodles of grandchildren who are all in church, but I believe they modeled for us divine order. And when we model divine order, whether we understand it or not, whether we really want to agree with it or not, we model divine order, God's blessing is there. Somebody say amen if you believe that. 
Thirdly, marriages that esteem the purity of heart above external beauty. Beauty. Peter writes these words, don't let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. The, import, the point here is not the unimportance of caring for oneself and looking nice for one's spouse. That is important. I believe God wants us to do that. The point is that the internal purity and beauty is of lasting value while external beauty is fleeting. We are in our culture obsessed with the external, how we look, what we wear, what we drive, what we live on. Doesn't matter how much it costs. Doesn't matter how deeply we go into debt for it. We want externally to look like we are often something that we are not. How many hate dressing rooms with 19 mirrors? You know what I'm talking about? All right. And I, I read this and I, I wonder if anybody else has ever felt like when you're in there dressing that there ought to be a sign on the mirror that says objects in mirror may appear bigger than they actually are. Right. You ever feel that way? I'm not that big. There's no way I'm that big. So we, we are obsessed. We are obsessed with the external. But external beauty cannot make up for the lack of inward godliness. I love this quote. People are like stained glass windows. They sparkle and they shine when the sun is out. But in the darkness, beauty is seen only if there is a light within. Unless you have a pure heart. That external beauty, when it gets dark and things start fading, that's going to go away. But if you've got the presence of Jesus and the fruit of the Spirit the qualities of Christ in your life, you will shine like an exile in a world to which we don't belong. You see, this looks like both husband and wife seeking to know Christ better. I want to be internally pure. It looks like both husband and wife encouraging the other to be the godly person they were meant to be, encouraging the spouse to be what God's called you to be. Don't push them back. It looks like the spirit of mutual forgiveness and grace. It looks like both being who God called them to be first. Cariotis was one of the world's top supermodels for 17 years. She began her career at the age of 14. She prepared for each photo shoot routinely by binging and purging, taking laxatives and diet pills. She exercised intensely. Being thin made it possible for her to earn as much as $20,000 a day. Cocaine helped her diet. She used heroin later on. She married actor Mickey Rourke, and then they divorced. And that destructive lifestyle led her to a complete emotional and mental breakdown. After some time in a mental institution recovering from that, she committed, she emerged committed to changing her life. She began eating normally abstaining from drugs and alcohol. She went from a size two to a size 12 is still a successful model. She gained 30 pounds in the process. On her 32nd birthday, a friend invited her to go to Nepal on a humanitarian mission to distribute clothes and toys to kids living in orphanages. For the first time, she saw what starvation really was. 
She explained to reporter Cynthia Fadden, Mick Fadden, it wasn't about somebody being concerned that they were going to fit into a size and that's why they weren't eating. It was because there wasn't food to be had. There was no money to get food. I thought, you know what? That's how the rest of the world lives. She goes on to say, if somebody would ask me, when did I feel the most beautiful? I would tell them I felt the most beautiful when I was traveling through the Himalayas in dirty clothes, dirty hair, and hadn't showered in a week. But I was giving kids clothes and passing out food to the hungry children. That's when I felt like the most beautiful woman and the woman that I had always aspired to be. You see, relationships, marriages, families that make it clear to the world that we're in exile or where internal beauty and internal possessions are far more important than what we have externally. Let me give you these last three, last three very quickly. Marriages that uphold the absolute truth of gender distinct, distinction. This is not unimportant. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 3 and verse 7. Husbands, likewise dwell with, your, with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel and as being heirs together the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Note first, and our culture needs to hear this, and the church, if there's any place this needs to be upheld, it's in the church. Note first, there's no question about what a marriage looks like. It is a man and a woman. It is a husband and a wife. Paul writes in Ephesians 5.31, For this reason shall a man leave father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Our secular world is is trying to undermine that truth and tear away at the truth of God's word. In creation, God created male and female. Sky Klein says, feelings, perceptions, and thoughts do not define reality. Christ is reality. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. When humans lose their foundation and their compass for truth and they exchange the truth for a lie, Romans 1.25, and imaginations are substituted for reality, the result is a false world created upon feelings which is doomed to failure without having ever succeeded. We have young people today that struggle with who they are, what their gender might be. God's word tells them it's truth and the church needs to uphold that. We need not buy into that lie. We need to hold to the truth of God's word. Somebody say amen if you believe that. There's no argument regarding distinction. Peter says that you are to treat, live with your wives with understanding, treating them as the weaker vessel. We are all vessels. We, are, we all have this treasure in earthen vessels, all created by God, all vessels of honor. But we are to recognize the distinctions between men and women. We are to embrace them. We are to be thankful for them and be grateful for them. Number five. Marriages that are lived in exile are marriages that understand the influence of godly living. Wives, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Here we have a wife with an unbelieving husband. It could just as easily be a husband with an unbelieving wife. In either case, there is an awareness that if I live godly, even if I don't preach to them, if I live godly and I walk and follow Christ, I can influence their lives with my godly living. 
Can I just take that one step further? How desperately our culture needs the church to realize even if we aren't screaming at them, we can influence them by living godly lives and living different in a dark world. Desperately, we need to embrace the influence of godly living. We need to model the love of Christ for his church. Husbands ought to love their wives, Paul said, as their own bodies. And he who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. And again, this reason a man will leave father and mother and cleave to his wife. Look at this. This is the great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. And let me give you the last one very quickly. Marriages that live in exile or recognize that they are living in exile are marriages that practice the power of prayer agreement. Look at the text one more time. Husbands. Likewise, dwell with them with understanding. Give honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. While for men, look at me for just a moment. While for men, the call here may not be to submission. It is to considerate use of the divine order. Number one, we are to live with our wives according to knowledge. That is, in an understanding way. We are to know her. We are, we are to know them, to know what makes them feel loved, what they like, what they fear, what they need, what they desire, what their goals and ambitions are. We need to know. We need to live with our wives with understanding. We need to honor them the text says. Literally, bestow honor on them, kind and adoring words, both publicly and privately. They need to be honored by giving priority choices regarding time and money. We need to recognize their spiritual equality. We are heirs together of the grace of life. It's not me and her. It's not us and them. We are heirs together of the grace of life. We have spiritual privilege and inheritance together. And finally, we are to pray together. How hard it is to be angry or divided when you pray together. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Prayers are negatively affected when husbands and wives don't dwell together in love as co-heirs of the grace of life. I want you to stand with me if you would, please. We're going to close this morning. I want to challenge you with just one last quick brief story. Liz Curtis Higgs, you may know that name, was one of the best known disc jockeys in America for a period of time. Before she knew Jesus, she lived a really wild lifestyle. In fact, she had a, uh, a disc jockey partner that you may know this name, Howard Stern. Howard Stern did the morning show, she did the night show. Her show was so ungodly, so filthy that Howard Stern actually said to her, you know, you need to clean your act up a little bit. If you know anything about Howard Stern, that's something for him to say that. She'd been burned by many men and many relationships. Her heart had been broken and she'd become a militant feminist. 
she had bought the whole critical theory idea and she was going to overturn the power structures of male dominance. But she had a Christian girlfriend and invited her to church. So one day she finally told her girlfriend so many times she wasn't going. One day she finally went. Sat with her girlfriend and the pastor started preaching. (laughs) He started preaching, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. It was like the worst thing she could hear. She was a militant feminist. And first time she goes to church, that's the text. She got a little bit uptight. She was a little ticked off, a little bit angry, but she continued to listen. And she actually heard the second part of the verse. It says, and husbands, you sacrifice yourself. You give yourself for your wives, just as Jesus Christ sacrificed himself for the church and died for her. Who is asked to give up their life? The husband. Give up your life. Sacrifice it for your wife. Give up everything of your being for your wife, just like Christ did for the church. When Liz heard that part, she leaned over to her friend. She was a little bit cynical, but she said, I'd gladly give myself to any man if I knew he would die for me. And her friend leaned over and said, Liz, there's a man who loved you enough to die for you. His name is Jesus Christ. That's how much he loves you. It's a few more weeks. She continued to go to church. One Sunday morning, she surrendered her life to Jesus Christ. She's no longer a militant feminist. She's now a well-known Christian author and speaker. Changed by the humble love of Jesus that he calls husbands and wives to model. Can I just tell you, it's really important that we model it for our husband or our wife. It's really important that we model it for our children, but can I tell you, it's become more and more important that we model it for our world. They need to see what people who have devoted their lives to Christ in this book, how they live their lives. And sometimes we're not, we, most of the time, we're not going to win them with our cute little Facebook post. We won't change their mind. I've tried (laughs) a few times, doesn't work, but we may change them if they see consistency in how we live for God and we live with one another. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us the privilege of modeling for the world an even more precious relationship, and that is your love for us. As you submitted to the Father, you call us to submit to you. As you walked in divine order, you ask us to walk in divine order because it's when we do that we experience your blessing. And it's when we do that we are truly the example to a dark and broken world that you've called us to be. Lord, this is countercultural. Everything from First Peter is counterculture. It goes against what we're hearing in Hollywood, what we're hearing in the news media, what we're hearing in our schools. It goes against it. But that's why we are called exiles. 
Our citizenship is in heaven and we are to live for you while we walk in this world. So Spirit of God, speak to our hearts. Challenge us, convict us, change us by your word and by your spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. With your head still bowed for just a moment, possibly you're here today and you've never invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. Maybe you've never prayed and said, Jesus, I want you to come and live inside of me. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior. You would say, Pastor Kevin, if if Jesus were to come today, I'm not ready to meet him. I would not go to be with him, but today you want to make certain that you are. If that's you, would you just slip up a hand? Anyone in this room who would say, pray for me. I want to submit my life to the Lordship of Jesus. Anyone in this room, pray for me. Thank you. Thank you. You can just put it up and write back down. Someone else, anyone else would raise a hand and say, would you pray for me? I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Anyone else this morning? I wonder how many, with your head still bowed, would just simply say, I want to walk in divine order. Whether I'm a husband or a wife, or whether I'm married or not married, there's lots of relationships that I'm in with friends and a boss leaders how many just by an upraised hand would say I want God to help me to walk in divine order so that I can really shine the light of Jesus in a dark world how many would raise your hand with me and say that's the desire of my heart I'm going to ask everyone to pray out loud this prayer there was at least one that raised their hand maybe others that I missed and maybe maybe someone didn't raise their hand but they should have would you just pray out loud with me everyone in this room this prayer and if you pray it and you mean it, it's not the words are not magical, if you pray it and you mean it, pray it by faith you can in this moment become a child of God, would you pray out loud with me, Jesus I love you I believe you died for me on the cross you took my sin so today I give you my life forgive me of my sin Come and live inside of me. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. From this day forward, I will serve you. With your help, I will follow you. I trust you as my Lord. I confess you as my Lord. And I believe in my heart. God raised you from the dead. And now you live inside of me. I give you my life. I call you my Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for everyone that prayed that prayer in minutes from their heart. Lord, your word says that when we do that, we are translated. We are, we are taken out of, rescued from the kingdom of darkness and placed in the kingdom of the son you love. And I thank you for that today. And I pray, Lord, that they'll now take that next step and they'll follow you. They'll take up their cross and follow after you and they'll be your disciple. We're going to sing this chorus this morning. We're going to worship the Lord together. In just a moment, we're going to close the service. If you raised your hand and, and or you didn't, but you prayed that prayer with me, 
and uh, you really committed your life to Christ, I'm going to ask you at the close of the service, after we're dismissed, if you would just come and stand over by the altar. Pastor Josh will meet you over there. He'd just like to pray with you, give you a little booklet that will help you in your walk with the Lord. So it'd be after dismissal, just walk up and talk to him for just a moment. Everybody else will be headed out. Let's sing this chorus.